So let's get into the Word of God. Um, let's read uh, verses 1 through 10 here. Let's read through this psalm and dive into it. And just ask the Lord to minister to us here tonight. Uh, to the chief musician with string instruments on an eight-stringed harp, a psalm of David. So we need some... Uh, where, where's Lisa, the chief musician here tonight? Do we have any, uh, eight, any eight-string harps in the back room or anything like that? Or, you know, no harp tonight? Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I, I know nothing about string instruments. Uh, when I was a rapper, I knew how to sample them, but I do not know how to play one. Um, but everything I read said that this indicates that this was supposed to be sung in a lower note, uh, probably by the men. So uh, I, I don't know if that's right or not. I, you know what, I'm not, I don't have that musical. Maybe the chief musician can tell us later what the case is. So let's read 1 through 10. O Lord, do not, rebuke, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. So we know this psalm absolutely was written in a time of distress in David's life. What time it was, we don't know. As we read through First uh, and Second Samuel, you know, we know that there were many times when David was in distress. And we picked that up on the Psalms too, different Psalms that he wrote. And you just got to love the fact that, you know, David was a man that would turn to the Lord in those times of distress. And we'll, we'll uh, you know, he was a man who had an intimacy with God. And the beautiful thing about that is that he didn't run off somewhere to find that. He didn't have to go to some school. He didn't have to go to some special group of people. This was a guy who, just as a young boy, was put out to take care of the sheep. And out there taking care of the sheep as the young boy, he became a worshiper of God, the psalmist of Israel. He learned to worship the Lord under the stars, no doubt looking up, giving God praise for his creation. Um, even when uh, Samuel came to anoint a king from the house of Jesse, remember he wasn't even invited into the room. And it seems that perhaps he was even an afterthought to his family, but isn't it awesome that we're not an afterthought to our Lord tonight? And isn't it beautiful that right where you're at, you can give him praise and you can give him glory and draw near to him, whether you're off in some, you know what, field uh, with, a, with a bunch of sheep or in a room like here tonight in our home and so forth. And uh, he was absolutely a man who had learned the faithfulness of God. And again, he was always quick to turn to the Lord. We'll talk more about that in a second. So again, we see him crying out in a time of great distress and uh, I'm just going to assume tonight, maybe I'm, I'm wrong or mistaken, but uh, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here uh, in, in, in uh, believing that all of us here have had times of distress. Anyone in the room? Okay, am I safe on that limb? Then it's not, it's not going to break. And uh, I know that most likely we're going to have more times of distress in days to come. 
And, uh, you know, we could have times and days to come that are, you know, things that if we knew about it right now, we would just fall over and faint. But we know that God will always prepare us for what He has coming. But, you know, you never know what tomorrow holds. And so Psalms like this are so valuable as we see, we see David really working this out with the Lord. So notice what he says here, first of all, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot to pleasure. And it seems here that there's a clear admittance on David's end that there's some sin in his life. Because he starts us off, don't rebuke me or don't chasten me. Uh, I know my kids, uh, generally throughout the day, out of nowhere, they don't say, Dad, don't chasten me, don't spank me. Unless there's something that perhaps has been going on that's come to my knowledge, and maybe they even got one of those, well, wait till your father comes home, and I got a text message and whatnot, and you walk in the door, and it's a, you know what, don't chase me, don't, don't chase me. So it seems here that David's starting this off, oh, Lord, do not, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chase me in your hot displeasure. Uh, there's an admission here that that there's some things that have been going on in his life that perhaps have made this time of distress more of a time or a trial of correction than perfection. And we don't know that for sure because we can't place exactly where this was written. But one thing we know about David is that he was a man after God's own heart, and the Word of God declares that. And he was also a man that had some sin issues. Anyone here have some sin issues in their life? We can relate to this. And yet even in the midst of these struggles and these things that he wrestled with, he's declared uh, a man after God's own heart. And you look at God's word and God's word is full of men and women who love him, who have sin issues. Think about the Apostle Paul, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. We just finished a year and a half study in First and Second Corinthians. And... I, I think that it's real clear, Paul was a man after God's own heart too. Paul was a man that loved the Lord. But did not Paul declare, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And talks about doing the very thing that he hates. Think about Peter. I mean, there, there's a man that loved the Lord. Uh, you know, we oftentimes pick on Peter because he'd be quick to put his foot in his mouth of some of the things he would declare, but it was always out of a zeal and out of a love for God. I mean, he was the guy that, you can say, oh, he's the guy that sunk when he jumped out of the little boat, but he's also the guy that walked on the water a little bit, you know? And yet, again, we know that he denied the Lord three times. And later on, he even got caught up into some false teaching in the book of Galatians that Paul had to correct him. But he was a man that loved the Lord. And we've been reading about Abraham on Sunday morning, and here's a man with great faith willing to leave Ur of the Chaldeans to go out to an unknown place to follow the Lord. Abraham had some issues, didn't he? I mean, he was quick to uh, put more faith in his lie that his wife was his sister than just trusting the Lord that he would have his hand on them. And the list goes on and on and on. And listen, I point this out not to give us a pass on our sin. Uh, we don't get a pass on our sin unless it's covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. But what an encouragement that these were people that loved the Lord. And I think every one of these men here, they had this in common. The reason they loved the Lord is because they knew they were sinners and they knew the salvation God had provided for them. In the Old Testament, through the promise of Messiah, Paul and Peter and these others, through Christ who came and rose again from the grave. And isn't that a glorious truth for us tonight? Amen. 
I mean, we're here because we have sin issues, aren't we? I mean, we, we know we've fallen short, yet we know what the Lord has done. And we're here tonight because we want to grow in Him and, 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 you know, we want to abound in Him. And praise God, all those issues we can bring to Him and they're covered by the blood and then practically, you know what, God is patient. And here's Peter or here's uh, David pleading with the Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. And uh, he doesn't say he shouldn't be rebuked. He doesn't say he shouldn't be chastened. And we looked at this several times in Hebrews 12, 5 through 6, where I'll just read it. It says, and have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For, the Lord love, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And David understood that in his sin and as a sinner, God had the right and power just to come and simply crush him. And God would be completely justified in that. He'd be justified in crushing us in our sin and our rebellion. And yet, praise God, as David once again pleads with them to be merciful. And, you know, it pleads with them not to rebuke him in anger or hot displeasure. He knows that as a loving father who wants to correct him, he's also a loving father who absolutely wants to bestow mercy upon him. And notice verse 2, he says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. So we see a confession of sin here. We see that he knows he needs to be chastened and corrected, but he's saying, don't do it in your hot displeasure. Don't do it in your anger. But Lord, have mercy on me because I'm weak. Heal me, my bones are troubled. So he's asking for mercy as, out of his weakness, his need for God, um, and his need for the Lord not to give him what did he deserves, which absolutely mercy is. And, uh, you know, last couple weeks I've talked about my devotion in Job. And uh, at one point Job speaks about the Spirit of God, that if the Lord were to remove him, we would be but dust. That's pretty weak, isn't it? We would be but dust. And praise God, he knows our frame and he knows what we're, we're but dust. And when we cry out for his mercies, um, he is quick to bestow them upon us when we come to him with a genuine heart. Um, I think of Lamentations 3.22. And there's a lot of lamenting and lamentations. I mean, it, it's, you go through Jeremiah and you read about the captivity, all the prophecies about it and so forth. And then Lamentations is like five chapters of just lamenting and weeping and you know, just the despair out of the failure of man in that right dab in the middle, Lamentations 3.22, Though the Lord, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fell not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in Him. Isn't that glorious? And here in the midst of all of this, David, again, a man after God's own heart, and, it, and, and that's a picture of, of honesty with God, a, a man who would be quick to admit his, his weaknesses and failures. And I really think that's the thing. One of the things that separates David from so many in the scripture, uh, he, he would be quick to say, Lord, I blew it. And there was one season where he, he held on to that for a while and the Lord was faithful to him. And then he just said, I've sinned against you, God. And how many times do we fight and kick and so forth instead of just surrendering? I'm weak, Lord, be merciful to me. And aren't, you have a, aren't, aren't you blessed tonight that we have a God who's sympathetic 
And absolutely, he's quick to bestow mercy upon the humble and those, you know, who call on him. And, you know, as I was just thinking about this, it goes back to salvation. And it goes back to, I think, how God's called us to walk as saints who are no longer sinners by the blood of Jesus. That account there in Luke 18, 9, I just want to read it. He also spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. That's someone not confessing their weakness. That's someone, you know, thinking that they got a little deity going on in them or something. And so then the trusted that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. That's cold. Calling out dudes at the altar. God, I thank you that I'm not like him right over there. You talk about a blindness to this man's own weakness and so forth. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And a tax collector standing far off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And here's David in the midst of his shortcomings. And we'll see in a minute here in the midst of attacks from the enemy. And absolutely, there are times when our shortcomings give opportunity for the enemy to attack. And what's David doing all this? He cries out for the mercy of the Lord. God, be merciful to me. He just says, I'm going to surrender this to God. I know where I can turn. And hopefully we're a people that are doing that. And if you're someone who, who has it, it's, it's, it's time to, to make this part of your walk with the Lord, that turning to him, that being honest with him. He says, oh Lord, heal me for my bones are troubled. And again, it seems in the midst of this situation, there is an inner turmoil that's going on with him. It seems that, uh, you know, in knowing that he needed a rebuke and chasten, yet he did not want to get thumped, he wanted mercy in that, that whatever was going on, it was gnawing at him deep down. It seems that it was taking away his peace, his joy, and his hope. And when we get things in our life that we hold on to, that we don't lay down to him, especially in areas of sin, it's going to eat away at us. I say it all the time. I'm not the one who, who, who said it first. I don't know who it was, but whoever said it was spot on. A true born-again Christian, when they're in sin, can't enjoy their Savior or their sin. And you see here, David, you know what? His bones are troubled. His inner man is troubled. And now he's just wanting to bring this all before the Lord. Have you ever been in that place where you're holding on to something that you know is outside of God's will and it's just gnawing at you? It's, it's just, it's, it's absolutely troubling your inner person. But I love Psalm 32, 1, and this speaks of when David confessed that sin that, that he had brought, you know, uh, against the Lord with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite after Nathan rebuked him. It seems that he sat on that for a long time without bringing it before the Lord. But Psalm 32 says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Let me ask you, you're in Christ tonight. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Then, then you're blessed because your transgression is forgiven. <coughs> sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not, <coughs> excuse me, impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is, is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day. And we see David here, my bones are troubled, but he's turning to the Lord. He says, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer, Selah, or consider that, think about that. 
I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I've not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Isn't that beautiful? I confessed it. You forgave me. You bestowed your mercy upon me. And I'll tell you, even David in this, both these situations, in his bones being troubled, that in itself as well is a chastisement. It is a, it is a, a, a rebuke, but it is a picture as well as grace and mercy. God not, God not just allowing David to continue, but he says, listen, I'm going to allow these things to trouble you. And even, you know, your own sin to trouble you, not to destroy you, but bring you to that place of coming, yielding it to me and confessing it before me. It could be very well that on top of that, that even physically David's bones were troubled in both of these situations. We do know absolutely there is a, a troubling of the inner man. And, you know, the bones are in the inner man. I think it's real clear representation. There was a troubling in his heart. You can see it in the psalm. But there can be times when our sin can bring affliction upon our bodies. Now, it's a big error if anyone's in sin, in, in, that's sick to say, oh, you're in sin. And some people do that, and that's completely outside of the bounds of Scripture. But absolutely, there are times in God's Word where because of sin... There can be affliction that come upon. Certain sin can bring certain afflictions. And the Proverbs speaks of this, of an adulterer or whatever bringing fire into their bosom. That has to do with physical things, spiritual things as well. So we don't know if this was just the inner man or the literal bones as well. But if it were, uh, David is doing the right thing. And then he's saying, okay, Lord, come and heal me. You know, we looked at this in 2 Corinthians when Paul had that uh, messenger sent from Satan to buffet him three times. He pleaded with the Lord, Lord, and come, come deliver me from this. And in that case, the Lord said, no, my uh, strength is perfected in your weakness. And God had a reason for his bones, so to speak, to be troubled. But let's make sure when we got troubled bones, we bring that to the Lord and we just ask the Lord to heal us, knowing his will will be done. But we got to go to him. We need to come before him. We need to be quick to do that. And I would encourage you to do that whether, you know what, you got trouble in your bones, the people are saying you're going to die in a day, or if it's just something where, you know, you're suffering with a, a cough or a little flu or whatever, let's bring it all to him, amen? I mean, he takes pleasure when we do that. And verse 3 says, my soul is also greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? So again, He's troubled in his soul, and, and this is going to lead into the affliction of enemies. I know this, that as a follower of Christ, quite often I find my soul troubled. I, I know I have the peace of the Lord, and I know I can always turn to the cross when I have the joy of the Lord. But I really think that as a follower of Christ, if your soul's never troubled, that might be a problem. I know a lot of times I trouble my own soul when I get outside of God's bounds. I don't want to be in a place where I'm a free will and sinner. Again, I know I'm saved through the grace of the Lord. But again, the grace of who? The Lord. I want Him to be my Lord. And isn't it troubling to your soul when you get in those places where you know you've fallen short of His glory? Now, praise God, we can quickly turn to Him and turn to the cross and know that if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins practically but at times i find myself troubling my soul there's even things at times that pop up into my mind that trouble me i'm like what what are you thinking where did that thought even come from 
But does not the word of God speak about, you know, the, 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 our own hearts being desperately wicked? I know there's times in my life where I get caught up in vain pursuits and things aren't put in their proper place and something that's enjoyable pretty soon starts troubling you. Because that which was meant to be a blessing all of a sudden has kind of moved in on the blesser's place. Obviously, we're in a fallen world, and how can you not but look at the news and not have your heart troubled? Is anyone's soul troubled by this presidential election coming up? It is very troubling. It's serious. On so many levels. It's like, is this where we are as a nation, where this is the best we have? Uh, Very troubling. And we know the enemy you know, there's spiritual warfare, and the enemy walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he devour. He's always wanting to kick up trouble. But notice, my soul is greatly troubled, but you, O oh Lord, how long? And I love this. I'm troubled, but you, O oh Lord. And this is glorious tonight. As Christians, there's times when we're troubled, we go through things. I, I, I really think a Christian probably is going to be more troubled than a non-believer in the sense of his soul wanting to serve the Lord, having a heart for others, and so forth. It's easy to skate through life if you're going to live, through your, live for yourself, and the enemy will even feed that. As long as you're not thinking about Jesus, he's fine with that. But God's word is full of men and women who anguish, wanting to honor God and wanting to bring the gospel and wanting to glorify God. They anguish over their brothers and sisters. And isn't it awesome, though there's times our soul is greatly troubled, there's that glorious word, B-U-T, but you, oh Lord. Isn't that awesome? I'm troubled, but I know the Lord. There's times I, I feel so grieved over non-believers. And, you know, see them pursuing certain things and knowing even if they obtain that, there's still an emptiness there. And I see it all the time in things. I see it in my kids' athletics, people that come out and they pour so much into it and so forth, and they're striving and so forth. And in and itself, it can have a place and be an enjoyable thing. But I think at the end of the day, if, well, throughout the day, if you don't have the Lord, then especially at the end of the day, if you can't say, but you, O oh Lord, man, I know there's an emptiness there and there's a despair there. And we need to remember that. A lot of times people that on the outside, they looks like they have it all together. They can't say but you, O Lord. And it, it, God's called us to point them to the Lord, to point them to what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, but you, O Lord. And then he says, how long? And he's saying, basically, how long until relief comes? And one thing we can know about the Lord, about relief coming, you know what it is? It always comes at the right time, especially when we humble our hearts and we call on him. And we can even rest in that. How long, O Lord? God's timing is always perfect with his children and with his people. In verse 4, he says, return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there's no remembrance of you in the grave. Who will give you thanks? So David is crying for the Lord to deliver him out of death via his mercy. And he's saying here, if I die, and he's talking about this physical realm, if I die in this physical realm, there's going to be no remembrance of you. And if I'm in the grave, I can't thank you. Now, again, he's talking about here. Um, I've done a lot of funerals 
And I've never seen someone that has deceased functioning in their memory. And I've never seen them give thanks to anything or anybody. If that happened, I would it'd be very disturbing. I would have to bring that before the Lord. Uh, obviously, after this life, these bodies go to the dust. The soul returns to the Lord where it's judged. He's talking about the physical body. Or he's saying, deliver me from death. Save me for your mercy's sake. Because if I die in this physical realm, there's going to be no more remembrance. And in the grave, I can't give thanks. Now, we got to remember that David was in a place where he was before Christ. The Messiah had not come. Because I think it's, it's a mistake to, to put the emphasis on David just didn't want to die. I think there's more than going on here. David knew of the promised Messiah, and he knew he was part of the lineage that God would use to bring forth that Messiah. And I believe he is in a place where he is crying out to this because he is saying the Christ hasn't come yet. And I know, Lord, you're going to bring the Messiah through the seed of woman, through, the, through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Judah. And here he is, you know what, the king of Israel from the tribe of Judah. And I think this is a spiritual thing, Lord. If I die, I, I don't want to hinder the coming of the Messiah. We need to get saved here. So he's saying, return, O Lord, deliver me. Meet me where I'm at. And he's, you know, looking for the coming of Messiah the first time. Well, there's application for us. Return, O Lord, deliver me. This speaks of us looking for his second return. Amen. And I'll tell you, times of distress and attacks of the enemy... I don't know about you, but that flares up in me all the more, Lord, return. I'm finding myself more and more in the midst of a very blessed life that I, I don't deserve. I'm very blessed to pastor this church. Very blessed to have a wife who loves the Lord and puts up with me. <laughs> to have children that are, that are healthy, that love Christ and so forth. And, and I don't deserve a lick of that. I really don't. Uh, but in the midst of even all those blessings, man, this world's messed up. And I just find my soul more and more like Lot, who his soul was vexed by the going-ons of Sodom and Gomorrah. I hope I'm a little more proactive than Lot was. Uh, but boy, don't you find yourself vexed? Your soul vexed more and more? Just in the, 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 the way this, this world is at. And I really believe that the longer the Lord tarries in his long suffering, not wanting to perish, that more and more that remnant of true believers is going to say, Return, O Lord, Maranatha. Revelation 22 20, he who testifies to you says these things, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, or Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. And it is our blessed hope. And it's not a cop-out just to say, I want to get out of here. I'm blessed here. And listen, I love being a soldier for Jesus. I love getting in the trench and serving the Lord. It fires me up. And I want to be in that trench. And, and I want to be here as long as the Lord has me here. Because I want to see people come to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it ain't any cop out at all. But I am also looking forward to the coming of my Lord. And there are certain times when my soul is dressed, uh, so distressed. I can say come soon Lord Jesus. 
And I even take comfort in that because I do know he is coming. And he's going to come in his perfect timing. And what's awesome is even when he comes, if I'm here, my body will be transformed. And if he comes after I die, my body will be transformed. And not only will I remember him in spirit, but I'm going to remember him in the flesh too. In a resurrected body like the Lord Jesus Christ. So we got, it's like double bonus points right here. Verse 6, <clears throat> I am weary with my groaning all night. I make my bed swim. I'm assuming he's sweating a lot. I drench my, cou my couch with tears. I think he's crying a lot. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. And again, we've already touched on it. There's opposition to the Lord and his people. Our own flesh that we, we, we combat. A fallen world who is under the sway of the wicked one. It really is. <clears throat> the wicked one himself. <clears throat> and there are times that our enemy can bring us to tears and cause great grief. Again, I'm going to go out on a limb and, and, and think that more than one person can testify to that. Can anyone relate to what David is saying here? Have there ever been times when just the enemies of your soul have deprived you of sleep where you're swimming in your tears and you're wasting away because of grief i've been there before i know people i, I know dear friends who have gone through seasons even recently where they couldn't sleep but praise god he's faithful to us i love what jesus said Come to me, all you, are, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you, re, do you need rest tonight? Maybe in your soul, your spirit, maybe just in your mind. Physically, you need it. Come to the Lord. Come to Him. Draw near to Him. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Verse 8, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. Workers of iniquity. Now, this isn't David running from the world in the sense of, you know, what a, 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 a mindset of a Pharisee that I'm just going to, you know, get away from these sinners around here. Departing from workers of iniquity, this speaks of those that are trying to enforce their iniquity and their fallen ways upon him. The mockers, the tempers, the tempters, the accusers, the attackers. Individuals who work their sin versus repenting and turning to the Lord. And I think we are living in a day where we're seeing an increase of not just people in sin, but people who work their sin. And, you know, the Bible speaks of those, uh, I think it's in Romans 1, where he talks about inventors of evil. They just work this stuff. And in a culture that is pleasure-seeking, lovers of self, brothers and lovers of God, and out of that, there, there is a, an effort of these workers of iniquity to try to even cleanse the culture of God himself and anyone that would name the Lord, and it's an aggressive group. There's an aggressiveness out there when it comes to calling good evil and evil good. And uh, I've talked about this many times, 
I'm not going to elaborate it on tonight, but I'm tempted to. But notice what he says next, next, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. You need to depart. Now, there's sometimes we just need to separate ourselves. Revelation 18, 4, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins. But in this world that is wanting to afflict, wanting to cleanse itself of God and afflict the people of the Lord with no fear of God, thinking, like it says in Psalms 10, that God doesn't remember, we're not going to be held account. Notice what he says, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. You better depart because the Lord, my God, hears my cry. And I know this, if someone's afflicting my kid and I hear their cry and he says, you better get out of the way because my dad's coming, there's some validity to that. I'm not God, but listen, if I can't take you down, I know how to pick stuff up and hit people with it. Maybe I'll get taken out, but I'd rather die like that than be some punk coward that just lets my kid get afflicted. But we're talking about the Lord here. The Lord hears the affliction of his people. That's good news tonight, and it's okay to take comfort in that. It's not that we're wishing for all these sinners to go to hell and whatnot. But there's nothing wrong in, in taking comfort in the fact that, listen, God is going to avenge us speedily. Luke 18, 7, and shall God not avenge his own elect to cry out day and night to him? Is not David crying out here, his own elect, speaking of us, crying out to him? Though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? I, find, I have found myself thinking a lot of this lately. Thinking of Psalms 2 where it talks about the nations plot vain things. And I've been finding great encouragement in it because it's looking at the long, it's looking at where the finish line lies, not in the valley of the shadow of death that's between me and the finish line. And the enemy wants me fixated on this valley of the shadow of death to be intimidated and be fearful and all, oh, you know, all this stuff. And wait a minute, I see the finish line. And it's Christ coming back for his people and it's him mopping up this mess. And he wants us to take comfort in this. He hears the voice of our weeping. And we, we give way too much credit to the enemy and to rebellious men, especially in high places. And the Lord can bring all their plans down like that. That's a little better, like that. All this stuff they're plotting and planning and so forth, and the elect or the, the elite and the Illuminati and all this stuff. And I have no doubt that there is an organization of wicked people I mean, they, they put it out clearly. They, they want to reduce the population down to half a billion people. And I'm like, well, are you on that list of the, of, of the ones getting reduced? Well, no, we're, we're the elite and so forth. All this stuff's documented. But, I, you know, the Lord sits and laughs at it because, listen, even if he allows some of their plans to come about, I see the, the, the finish line and a shadow can't hurt me. And it may be that the Lord says, I'm going to bump the finish line back a little bit, and, and I'm just going to bring all this down and bring their plans to nothing. That's the kind of God we serve. Don't limit him, and don't, don't give power where it's not due. The little men in high places, and that's what they are. Verse 9, the Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Isn't that glorious? 
Psalm 34, 17, the righteous cry out, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Are you in Christ tonight? Can you say amen to that? That you are the righteous. You are righteous through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and your faith in him. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Did you hear that? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Oh, we don't want to hear that. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of some of them. No, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. The Lord hears me. The Lord receives my prayer. The proud, the sinful, not so much. Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Lessons here. Let's humble our hearts before him. Verse 19, let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. There is a lack of shame when it comes to sin in our culture today. There's things that we should be grossly ashamed of, which are paraded and lifted up and celebrated. And then we've come to a place where there, there's just, I can't say it enough, sin just makes you incredibly stupid. Things that are just a detriment to a culture, perversions and practices that should just be shameful. And I, I can think of things that today are paraded around that even when I was a kid, and I know some of you guys are way older than me and some of you are way younger than me. I'm probably somewhere in the middle here, but it wasn't that long ago that was just wouldn't even be spoken of because it's so shameful. And it not only is it celebrated, but it's shoved down our kids' throats and we're even threatened. Oh, you know, you better not speak out against this. I saw, uh, I watched a little bit, I'll, I'll admit, I, I watched a little bit of the last season of American Idol and the gal, La Portia, that took second. That girl can sing. But she was asked something about LGBTQAFC, whatever they call it. <laughs> I saw it today in, in, in the Yahoo News. La Portia takes backlash for her stance on these issues. And she said, listen, I got friends that are gay. Um, we're called to love other people. She said, but I don't agree with that lifestyle. I thought, good for you, LaPorsche. I, I, I knew you should have won. <laughs> Backlash. Because she said, I don't agree with this lifestyle. Because they're like, how dare you call it a lifestyle? We're born this way. Prove it. There's no proof of that. Utter nonsense. Does God love these folks? Yes, she did a great job even expressing that. But she's taking backlash. They're not even ashamed. A vile act. And if you're wrestling, whoa, but they seem so kind. The face that Hollywood puts on homosexuality is not homosexuality. I hate to break it down to you. It is a violent, grotesque, Rough lifestyle for about 98%. You probably have a small percentage where it looks probably more like just heterosexual rebellion and that there's some, you know, halfway functioning relationship going along between a couple people. 
And David says, let my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Jesus said this in Mark 8, 38. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. <clears throat> Tonight, if you want to say, oh boy, <coughs> I don't want to make that stand. <coughs> Consider the words of the Lord. And those that want to die in that sin and that rebellion, there's going to be a day they are going to be ashamed and they are going to be greatly troubled. <clears throat> and isn't it amazing in the midst of even this rebellion, God's giving time to turn to him. And that's why it's so important. We don't get ashamed of the Lord and hide in a corner saying they'll take away my rights. When you do that, you've already lost your rights. You don't have them anymore. <clears throat> because judgment will come suddenly. It absolutely will. James 4.13, come now you who say tomorrow or today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears a little while then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. And these people running around with no regard of God, not wanting to consider their latter end. Judgment comes suddenly. And this is not some self-righteous, you know, a discourse. I know I'm a sinner that deserves to hell, go to hell, just like the rest of these folks. But God has been merciful to me as I asked him for forgiveness of my sin. And I want to see these other folks call upon Christ as well. But I'm not going to help them if I'm going to be a coward over here and shut my mouth. Judgment will come suddenly. But isn't it good to know that we're in his hands? And again, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver him out of them all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bless you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this psalm here, God. And <clears throat> we just thank you for the truth in it, God. We're praying for our culture, Lord. I'm just praying, God, that you will raise up a remnant of believers that are not ashamed of you or your words. In the midst of a perverse and wicked generation, not only that we're in, but that you've saved us out of. We, we, we were bound to hell, a part of this wicked and perverse generation. So this is not a holier-than-thou thing. This is a Jesus saved me, and Jesus wants to save them. So, Lord, let us not be ashamed of you or your words. We just thank you that you are merciful, Lord, that you are kind, that you are a loving Father. Listen tonight as we close. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus absolutely lived a sinless life. He went to the cross to take the wrath of you and me upon himself. He rose again from the grave and he defeated sin and death so that if any would call upon Christ, they would be forgiven and have eternal life and a relationship with him as the Lord of their life. If you haven't called on him, today's the day of salvation. This life will end suddenly. Do you know him today? If you don't, listen, call on him tonight. Humble your heart before him. Just as this tax collector did, we read about in Luke 18, be merciful to me, Lord, a sinner. He's saying, Jesus, be my Lord, be my God. That means you've got to turn from whatever your God is to whatever you're putting faith in, to put your faith in him to be your Lord. That's what repentance is. Jesus, be my Lord. And he'll meet you where you are. Lord, bless our fellowship here and the rest of our night. We pray these things in Jesus' name and we sit together.
Amen. God bless.